you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. ...signs and encounter magnificent beings from another dimension. But more than that, you'll meet Jesus, history's most controversial, divisive, and significant man. John said he wrote his eyewitness account that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is God, because he knew that believing that changes everything. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. My name is Mark. I pray you are doing well. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. She's that really pretty lady in the video up there. Um, thanks for being with us. Thanks for coming and hanging out. It's, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord, whether you're here in person, amen, or whether you're here with us at home, uh, which seems weird to say, but it's true. Uh, we're, we're glad that you decided to, to, to be with us and to, to be together. Um, we are in a series, as you could probably guess from that, uh, through the Gospel of John, We've been here for a little while, uh, making our way slowly but surely, far more slowly than surely, but um, making our way through the Gospel of John. It's been good. Uh, Our our primary emphasis as we've been kind of making our way through this has led us now to John chapter 12. We'll get there in a second. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of framework, this is uh, now leading into the last uh, a few days, really, the last week of Jesus' earthly uh, ministry before uh, the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection and then the ascension and the enthronement. Uh, so we're kind of coming down to that part. And uh, the interesting thing about the Gospel of John is that John, in his uh, conveying of the life of Jesus, sort of compresses everything as it gets closer to uh, uh, Jesus' crucifixion. So we get through the first whole 30-some-odd years of Jesus' life in the first 10 or 11 chapters. And then as we kind of enter into chapter 12, everything slows down. Everything compresses, and we start to get more detail about days and times and structures. And so uh, we're in John chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, we're going to get right to it this morning. Uh, We've got a lot to cover, um, and uh, so we want to do that. So John chapter 12, verse 20. Once you get there, uh, John chapter 12, verse 20, go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. I like to always explain this just for those of you who are new or guests with us. Uh, We like to stand up because it's just another way that we can make you really uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, great. Now, one more thing I didn't know I was supposed to do. Great. Yeah. Uh, No, we stand because, um, and and I need need some agreement from anybody who's been here more than once, a lot is about to be said. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, I've never been accused of running out of words. So uh, uh, much is going to be said this morning, but what we're about to read we believe as a people is the living, breathing, active word of God. So, so what we're about to read is the important stuff. Amen? And so uh, we stand not, not to make you feel uncomfortable, certainly not to be religious or weird. Uh, we stand because we want to show honor and respect to the word of God. Amen? All right. So John chapter 12, we're just going to read a handful of verses here together. Uh, we've read them before if you've been with us. 
but we're just sort of drilling down into this. It says, now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Everybody say glorified. Son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Everybody say, follow me big key part here that we're kind of drilling down into is this idea that, that we're following Jesus in this. If anyone, ser- anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Church, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Come on, we are thankful, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the rock that is your word. Thank you that, that as we come to your word, God, your word doesn't change, but we change as we come to your word. As we press into your word, it, it molds us, it shapes us, it redirects us, it reorients us, it rebuilds us, God. And so we come to your word looking for that, desperate for that this morning, God, that your voice would be heard in the midst of your word. Not just a religious reading of a text, but God, a, a supernatural encounter with the voice of the Lord. We came here to hear your voice, God. We came here to receive your word. And we ask, we ask, Father, that you would, you would speak to us, your sons. Speak to us, your people. Draw those who, are, who are, are not yet in a place of encounter and relationship and abiding with you and speak to those of us who are. God, let your voice do that thing that it does where every ear hears exactly what it needs to hear. Now, I can't do that. Only you can do that. So, so we, we come, God, together as a people asking you, God, to be the one that speaks. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. God, feet willing and ready and empowered by grace and faith to, to walk in obedience to what it is that we hear. God, bypass every argument, bypass every barrier, bypass every obstacle that we put up against your word because we know, God, that your word is good because you are good. So we want to receive your word this morning for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Go ahead and greet somebody around you real fast and grab a seat. Amen, amen. How many of you have realized how many of you have realized that as you get older, things get weird? Uh, things get weird as you get older. You, you, your, uh, your, your priorities, your likes and your dislikes change. I'm a firm believer that time travel doesn't exist, at least not within my lifetime, because if time travel existed, I would have already traveled back to the past to punch myself in the face for not taking more naps when I was a kid. Um, why, why is it that I hated naps as a child? Um, they, are, they are my favorite thing ever now. Uh, naps are awesome, but we, we like different things, and different things become priority to us as we get older. I'm experiencing this personally. We're we're in the midst of house hunting right now because we hate ourselves, and um, uh, <laughs> I just like getting in invisible wars with people from California. It's fun. 
Um, and uh, so anyways, uh, so, so what's, what's interesting, though, is as you get older, this is, this is not the first house my wife and I have bought together, um, but, but uh, as you get older, the things you look for in houses change. Uh, you know, here's what I've learned from shopping for houses. Uh, the important stuff isn't sexy, right? Like, like the things that I care about now are, does it have a good foundation? <laughs> like, like, is the foundation solid? Is the substructure built well? Am I going to be able to live in this house without, it, without issues? Is the plumbing good? Is all this stuff, this is what I'm trying to say, is all this stuff that I can't cover up with paint solid? You see that the, the substructure is actually far more important than even the visible substance of the house. Because you, you, now I, I know there's some builders in the room, so they're going to correct me. You can fix a foundation, but it ain't easy. Amen? Substructure takes a lot. In fact, actually one of the first construction jobs I ever did, my, my grandpa actually needed to, to fix the, the foundation of his home. And so we had to literally, I remember he told me this, we're going to jack the house up. And I thought he was being funny. And then sure enough, like, I show up to his house to help him because uh, I'm a good grandson. And, um, and he has literal jacks, and we have to jack the house up and then crawl under said jacked-up house, which is jacked up, um, and, and, and fix this foundation. We, we had to do this. So, so foundations are important. They're hard to fix. But, but, but if you get them right at the beginning, amen, then you got to worry about it. But nobody, 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 I've had lots of friends build houses, like their own homes. I've had lots of friends build houses for other people. Nobody invites you over for a party when the foundation gets laid. No one's like, you guys should all come over and see the cool foundation we just laid down for my house. Like, nobody does that. We only want the sexy stuff. We only want the walls and the paint and the sheetrock and, and all that stuff, the, 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 the theater system and the, the, all the fancy bells and whistles. But, but here's what I'm trying to get at. The, the unseen stuff is actually more important and more valuable than the seen stuff. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that your beliefs and the way that you think are that substructure, are that unseen stuff that's actually far more important to me than the exterior stuff. My job as your pastor is to help build the foundation in your life and trust that that, that foundation is going to be stable enough for you to build a life on. So what I'm saying is what you believe is important. How you think is important. And I believe that right now, the Holy Spirit, as a people, if you're a guest, you're just listening in real fast to a family meeting. I believe as a people right now, God is actually trying to, to deal with our substructure and our foundation. He's trying to, he's trying to pull back, come on, some of the, the carpet, pull back even the, the little boarding and, and look at the, the floor joists and look at everything and make sure our things really set right. And here's why I believe that. Because I believe there is a, another weight of glory. And by the way, the word glory literally just means weight. Another weight that God wants to put on his people. But listen, if the foundation isn't right, then that extra weight will only crush what's underneath it. It won't be of any benefit to what's underneath it. And so as, as God is rebuilding and, and sort of readjusting some of our, our thinking and some of our beliefs as he's inspecting and correcting our substructure, here's what I believe he's trying to get to us. Tell me if you agree with this. He's trying to get us to believe that he is a good father and that we are his sons. These are sort of the rhythms right now of, of, of our gatherings together. That he is, he is father and by father we don't mean the picture that some of us have of jacked up dads who, who maybe did their best or maybe did their worst but were not good representations. Come on, of the father. What we mean is the good father. 
We mean the perfect father. We say it this way. God is immutably good. He's always and he's only ever good. He's trying to get us to believe that. Not just, not just agree with it. Amen? But believe it. Embrace it and entrust our lives to that truth. And he's trying to get us to see that his identity as father makes me a son. Now, now we, we, I always want to make sure because I, I want to just, I want to scare off anybody who wants to get weird. Okay, we, we, we believe that Christianity is weird, but we're only as weird as we have to be. Okay, so, so scare off the people who want to get weirder than we have to be. Jesus is the son. I am a son. I'm not replacing Jesus. He's, he's, still, he's still on his throne. Amen? He's trying to get us to see that he is father and I am son. He's trying to get us to, to recognize his identity so it changes us. So we've been looking at this. What, what preacher, what does that have to do with this? Jesus here describes the journey he's about to go on. Amen? But then he tells us that we should follow him in this journey. So if you're taking notes... I want, to, I want to talk to us this morning under the title, under the heading, Dying to Live, The Journey of Sonship. Uh, I, I don't like that title, though. I want to be clever. So here's the second title, if you want to use it. Uh, the second title would be The Pickling Principle. The Pickling Principle. Um, uh, that'll make sense in about an hour. Um, is he really going to talk for an hour? Probably. Um, so uh, Jesus took this journey to make us sons. That's what we believe. Jesus took this journey to make us sons. We take this journey to prove to ourselves that we are sons. I chose those words very carefully. He took the journey to make us sons. You are not a son because of what you are. You are a son because of what he has done for you. Amen? His, his, his work makes you what you are. His work restores you. His work redeems you. His work rebuilds you. So it's his work that does it. So he goes on the journey, he says, to make us sons. We, we got this, and I'm, I'm going really fast here because I, I don't have a lot of time on this. But he, he said he goes this way, and he uses this picture of a seed. We learned in Genesis, come on, all the way back in the very beginning, that a seed always reproduces after its kind. So if Jesus is, a, is the son, and he's planted, amen, then we become a son. And so then if we are a son, then we ought to expect to go on the same journey that Jesus went on. To prove to ourselves that we're sons, not to make us sons, not to make us sons, not to earn or merit our sonship, not to prove to God that we're sons, not to prove to other people that we're sons, to prove to you. Because listen, if you don't believe you're a son, then your sonship is worthless. And how many of you believe that Jesus did not pay such a great price to make you a son for you to treat it like it's worthless? No, we ought to treat it with the value and the respect and the worth that it has. So, so we believe, come on, that Jesus is the son. We are a son. He went on the journey to make us sons. We go on the journey to prove to ourselves that we are sons. So we said following Jesus, following Jesus looks like falling, being buried, dying, and bearing much fruit. Amen? That's what we said. That's what we said. Following Jesus, then, if that's what Jesus did, then that's what we have to do. Now, now, if we're if we're going to be honest, you remember I I corrected last week. I and I did this on purpose. I knew I was going to do it. I wanted to use the verbiage of of the text as much as possible. But what we saw last week was that the word buried really should be the word planted. 
Jesus is using the, this analogy here of, of a seed. So really, the idea of being buried is being planted. So let's review very, very quickly here. So here's our, here's our review. That, that we said first in the, in the falling, falling is yielding. And so based on the truth of God's immutable goodness, we surrender to his scrutiny as our judge, his sovereignty as our king, and his supremacy as our superior. His scrutiny is judge, remembering that judge is not a guy in a black robe with a white wig slamming a hammer down, but a judge is the judge from the book of Judges, who, yes, calls us out on our wandering, but, but rather not only does he call us out, he calls us to our abiding. He calls us out of where we are and back to where we need to be. He defeats our enemies and rules and reigns over us. So then we saw that he's king, and we saw that he's, he's superior. He is better than everything, amen? He's better than everything. So we saw that week. Last week, we looked at, at, the, at the planting. We said that being planted was about being broken, was about that seed being broken in just the right way under just the right pressure. We saw the three things that God is breaking. He's breaking off. Come on. He's breaking off the lie that God withholds any good thing from us. He's breaking our allegiance to our seed form, and he's breaking the bondage of barrenness, trying to make us fruitful in him. Amen? Amen. So now we're going to look at this idea of, of dying. So if following Jesus looks like falling, being planted, dying, and being fruitful, we're going to look at this idea of dying this morning. Now, as we, as we look at this, as we sort of dive into uh, this, this text and this, this specific aspect, and again, I've wanted to take time and look at each one of these things. My initial plan was to just sort of rush through it and, and see all three of them at the same time, but the more that... Um, the more that I've prayed and looked over this, I think this is so important for us. It's so important to me that you get, listen to me, that you get both of these truths, that God is Father and that you're a son. That I think it's worth taking some time and, and really, really diving into each one of these steps. If this is the thing, come on, beloved, if this is the thing that's going to prove to us our sonship, then I want to take some time and really make sure that we've done this. Because, listen, if, the, if, if this foundation isn't fixed now, it's going to have to be fixed later. And I would rather fix it now than have to fix it later. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's, let's look through this together. This, word, this Greek word, die, uh, comes from two separate words. It means to separate and then to, to experience death. The idea of this word that Jesus is using is that we would, we would, in our separation from him, slowly but surely wither away and die. So the dying Jesus is speaking about comes from disconnection. But here's what I need you to see. Here's what I need you to see. The goal of dying is not you dead, but you fully alive. The goal of you dying is not you dead, but you fully alive. Every, listen... Every world religion out there, I shouldn't say every, not every, many of the world religions out there will teach you that you need to die. But it is only the gospel that says the goal is not your death, the goal is you fully alive. The problem is that word fully. Everybody say fully. The problem is this idea of fully. If God only wanted you partially alive, you're good right now. Okay, if, 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 you're, if the goal is only you being alive to a certain degree, then, then it's okay to have a blending of both being alive and dead. But you cannot be fully alive and partially dead. 
So, so, so the Spirit of the Lord has to deal with the death in you in order that you can experience the life that is yours in him. Not just a little bit of life, not a partial life, but a full life. And so many of us have engaged in this process right now. I'm hearing testimony after testimony of the Lord exposing, come on, more and more areas where, where we didn't know, come on, we didn't know there was death, but he's exposing, hey, there's still some death here. Which means there's, listen, listen, that ought to be, that ought to be received as the Spirit of the Lord does that, that needs to be received as his goodness, because he does, not, he does not point out the death within you to bring about a condemnation. Because Romans tells us what? That for those who are in Christ Jesus, how much condemnation is there? None. There's no condemnation. So when he points that out, it's not to make you feel bad. It's to, it's to reveal that to you so that it can be removed and life can flood into its place. It's so that, so that that thing can be done away with. That thing can be displaced. That thing can be, that thing can be crushed, come on, by his goodness, by his light, by his life. The goal of you dying is not your death. The goal of you dying is you fully alive. So then we say this, the path to you fully alive starts with a specific type of death. A specific type of death. Here we go. Three ways. We're going, to do this. We're going to do this quick. You know what it means when a preacher says that, right? Nothing. It means nothing. Three ways that we must die. Here we go. We must die to sin, sensuality, and self. Sin, sensuality, and self. Now, now, now let, me just, let me make sure that we get this because I think we can think this idea of dying is the simplest of these of these steps that we follow Jesus in. But like always, there's some new, there's some, some revelation hidden in the nuance of this. And I know some of you are even thinking, yeah, I heard this at youth camp a long time ago. But I want to tell you that I believe as a, <laughs> as someone who spent well over a decade preaching at a lot of youth camps, uh, and probably I'm going to confess preached one of the messages that you're thinking that I'm about to preach right now. I want to say, I think as, a, as preachers, we missed it on these three. Not, 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 out of, not out of willful ignorance, not even out of, of spite, not even out of, of laziness, but rather I believe there's a, there's a season that God is bringing his people into where he's trying to show us that what we, what we understood at the time is not wrong, but it's not complete. Amen? I, w- I want to be fully in all of this. So, so let's look at these things together. This morning, I'm going I'm to walk through this as, as fast as I can because, again, we want to say that we, we, we do this to live. Amen? So die to sin. Die to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. If you're taking notes, I'm not going to go to all these verses. Don't have time. But if you just want to kind of jot into that, Romans uh, 11, or 6, 11 says that we should be dead to sin and alive to God. So then when we talk about sin, we around here have defined sin as rebellion against God and rejection of God. Sin, again, we can get into making lists and all that kind of stuff, but, but ultimately what it means is that, that sin is our rejection of God as God, or our rebellion against God as God, and our rejection of God as our God. Now that takes different forms and shapes in each of our own lives. You have your own wonderfully unique way that you did that. 
Where we say, hey, God does not have the right to, 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 to be sovereign, to be what we talked about earlier, judge, come on, and king and superior. We say, I don't think that's God at all, and I'm going to rebel against that. I'm going to work against that. And then we say, I'm going to reject this abiding relationship that he desires with me. Now, now, now I, need, I need some amens from some church folk. Sin, we've been told, uh, is, is known as, or Greek, is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. How many of y'all heard that growing up? Sin is missing the mark. That is completely true. Okay, not, not denying that, not going to delete that, don't want to edit that, don't want to diminish that. What I want to do is add to our understanding. There's more than just that definition, that, that word uh, in the Greek, the Greek word used for sin that we define as missing the mark. There's more words in Greek for sin used in the New Testament than just that word. Now what this word ha- has to do, and I want to make sure we get this, by missing the mark it means two primary things. Like, the idea is like an archer or somebody throwing a spear at a target. And you miss that target, that's sin. What that means is, is two things I said. It means, it means that you, 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 you don't have the distance. You can't even get it there to begin with. And even if you could get it to the target, you wouldn't hit the mark in the target. This speaks to our moral failings. But there's, there's another idea, and, and I don't have time to go through all of these. I planned on it, but I decided that I loved you. And um, so we're not going to go through all of them. But the, the one I think we need to get grasped for this is another Greek word for sin, and it means being out of step. It means being out of step. I'm just going to level with you. I never was taught that sin was being out of step with God. I don't think I ever heard a message. I heard a lot, hey, you morally screwed up. That's sin, and you better be, you better be real sorry about it. But I never heard that sin was being out of step with God. So let me, let me try to connect these things to you. Rebellion speaks of our missing the mark in our moral failings. Rejection speaks of us being out of step in our relational failings. Where we relationally get out of step with God. Where we relationally break the rhythm that he desires to have with us. And here's, here's what I'm trying to get us to see. We need to die to that form of sin, of being of being. Uh, of excluding ourselves from the abiding relationship, come on, beloved, that we're called to have in him. We need to realize that he desires an intimate, abiding relationship. We, we saw this weeks ago when we looked at the Trinity and we said, we want in our, in our Western world, we want to see the Trinity as blocks that we stack together. Right, like, and, and somehow try to make sense of it in these rigid blocks. But, but the understanding of the ancient uh, uh, Hebrew people, and even in the first century, was, was the, the idea when you talked about God was not so much boxes and bricks, but a swirling, but a moving, but a spinning. The idea that God is, is a moving together of these three until they are one. And we are called into that moving, that dance, that, that relational abiding So when I say we are called to die to sin, I'm saying we're called to die to our desire to try to live any way other than in an abiding relationship with God. An abiding relationship with Yahweh. An abiding relationship with Abba. An abiding relationship with Jesus the Son. An abiding relationship with Holy Spirit. So sin then isn't just about, hey, I, I, need to, I need to die to all of my moral failings. Listen to me. You need to die to all of your moral failings. But here's the truth. 
people completely uh, separated a thousand miles away from even being aware of the good God, Yahweh, know they need to improve their moral failings. I, I didn't need anybody. Come on, I need, I need some backup here. I did not need any preacher to tell me I sucked. I was fully aware of it myself. Right? I, think, I think as Christians, we, we like to, to hammer on the moral failings of others because we've hung around Christians long enough to hide our public moral failings and all we have left are our private ones so we can beat other people up on their public ones. But I believe, it's my, it's my firm belief that the spinning, listen to me, the spinning fixes the other stuff. That when we learn to abide in relationship. Let me say it this way. When he rejects my rejection, he conquers my rebellion. Here's here's relational nugget of wisdom. It's really, really, really hard to fight when you're so aware of the relationship that you have with somebody. Relationship fixes rebellion. People ask me a lot if I worry that my kids are going to rebel. And there's sort of this belief, I love you, I want to help some people this morning. There's sort of this belief in the church that all kids just have to grow up and and be rebellious. They have to go through a rebellious phase. And I'm so grateful. Listen to me right now. Listen to me now. Hear me later. I am so grateful for the fathers in this house who crushed that lie in my life. Your kids don't need to live like hell so they can learn how good heaven is. Your kids can live knowing the goodness of God that you know right now and never have to go through the dumpster fire that was our lives prior to that. If that's not true, then the, then the, the fact, the, the statement, the belief that we have that legacy trumps destiny is not true. But we know legacy is better than destiny. And so what we believe here is that our, our kids can grow, come on, to walk in, in not only the same measure of, of abiding relationship we have with God, but a greater measure. Amen. They don't need to go through rejection, but why, why do I believe my kids aren't going to go through, through rebellion? Because, because my focus is not getting them to not go through rebellion. My focus is to, to continue and to build a foundation of a relationship with my kids so they never know rejection, so they never go looking for rebellion. And listen, if your kids have gone sideways, we believe in a God who restores. Amen? We believe in a God who, who redeems. Everyone's got to go on their own journey. What I'm trying to get at is this belief, this idea that like, well, every kid's just going to go, you know, off and sow their wild oats. Like, how about we just get rid of their wild oats? That way they don't have to sow them. Like, and I have no idea what that, term, that, that analogy means, and if it's inappropriate, I'm sorry. Um, I wasn't born in 1940, so I don't know what that means. Um, so so here, here's what I'm trying to get us to see. That we need to get rid of this idea of, of sin, come on, being dominant in our lives, and start seeing that we are called to abide in him. Amen? Next thing, I said I was going quick. I told you I was lying. Die to sensuality. Die to sensuality. Romans 8, 13. 
Now, now, when we hear sensuality, we instantly, most of us, our minds go straight to sexuality, to sexual things. And that's not what I'm talking about solely here. What I'm trying to define this is in the broader sense, which is the pursuit of physical pleasure. I'm saying we need to die to, to the, the, the primary driver in our life being figuring out what feels good and avoiding what feels bad. Because here, here's a big truth. Are you ready for this? God often hides really, really, really good things in what look like really, really, really hard things. And if we avoid hard things because of an obsession that we inherited from the systems of this world, that we, we only go after what feels good. If our definition of the goodness of God is that he always makes me feel good, you will doubt the goodness of God. But if you understand that, that there, is a, there is an overemphasis in our world toward sensuality, toward just feeling good, toward pursuing these things, too often we are obsessed with our pursuit of the inferior pleasures and comforts of this physical world. And that is the thing we must die to. We must die to our obsession and our addiction to physical pleasure. Now, now, now this is the part where I have to do two things at once. First thing, that there are better pleasures in him than can be found apart from him. First thing I need us to get. It feels like to me we got that one. The other thing that I want to get out, I want to make sure we don't fall into the air of Gnosticism that says any physical pleasure is bad. That's not what I'm teaching at all. God gave us our physical bodies and made them capable of enjoyment, of, of pleasure, of enjoying things, of joy, of goodness, for our good. The problem is when we let things terminate on that physical pleasure, instead of it being a means by which we, we, we are fueled to honor and glorify him. See, this is so often the root of, of addiction in so many of our lives, that we let a good thing become a God thing. We let something that's supposed to be good, so we're supposed to enjoy it, and let that thing roll up into the praise and the adoration, the exaltation of Jesus. We say, no, it's just about this. And in pursuing that, we find the shallowness of it. Example, food. I, all of us need food. He's like, he's talking about food and he's preaching long. This guy's a jerk. All of us need food. All of us need physical food. All of us need substance. How many of us can, can say amen with me that I'm glad that God decided a way to get, to get sustenance into our body that's enjoyable? Right? Like anybody see the matrix, right? Like it's not just like, a, he didn't just invent like a gray goop that we have to eat that doesn't taste good. No, he made food to taste good. Some of y'all just don't look at your spouse. Some of y'all need to learn that. Your food can taste good. Okay? Like your food can have flavor and it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be, it, it's, you're, you're, we're, we're, it's okay to get excited about eating a good meal. But when we pursue, listen to me, when we pursue that pleasure in and of itself, and we constantly try to have more and more pleasure in eating, it leads to what, the sin we call gluttony. The condition we call, uh, you know, unhealthy, fill in your own word, obese we have problems, we, we, we struggle with these things. When, and here's, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. What I'm trying to say is when we obsess about that thing, that's when it begins to terminate on itself. The problem is not the food. 
The problem is that we don't eat the meal. And I know this, this feels so weird to us because we were raised in a system apart from him. But this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to eat the meal and go, God, you're good. You're supposed to eat honey and say, this God is like this. He's sweet. He's something I desire. And this, this goes to every area of life, your relationships, your sexuality, your possessions, your job. All of these things are designed to reflect who God is so that you, so that, so that you enjoy them and it becomes the fuel, come on, to worship and exalt him. Here's a thought. Here's an idea. What if Christians started thanking Jesus for the meal after they ate it? That's just a side note. Some of you are like, you don't know the kind of food I have to eat. There is no thing. It's prophetic before. It will be pathetic after. So we just do it before. Called to die to sensuality. Called to die to this, this pursuit of pleasure. What is your highest aim? That's what I'm trying to ask you. What's your highest aim in your life? Third thing we're called to die to. Called to die to self. Galatians 2.20. Luke 9.23. says we're crucified with Christ. Jesus in Luke 9 tells us to carry our cross. By the way, when Jesus said carry your cross, he didn't mean go to a jewelry store and buy a little gold one. The equivalent, I know most of you know this, the equivalent of a cross in his day. When he said that to his, the people, his original audience, what they heard was, go find your electric chair and sit in it. That, that, that's the picture. It's an instrument of death. He's calling us to die. A couple things here. Die to self what? Die to self will. Die to self reliance. Die to self absorption. What I mean is die to self-will, that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want it. Self-reliance, that I'm all I need. Self-absorption, I'm the center of everything. I'm all that matters. But I think most of all, when I say die to self, here's what I really mean. Die to self-preservation. And this is, this, this one, listen, listen to me, beloved. This one proves that we're a new kind of human. When we die to our self-preservation, when we separate ourselves from that, remember we learned what death in the tech context means, right? Separating so that it dies. When we remove ourselves from that and let that self, self-preservation die, we prove that we have been reborn. Prove it. Don't earn it, right? Don't merit it. We prove it. Because in the, in the core of every human, of every, really of every creature on the planet is self-preservation. At the core of us is, I want to live, I want to survive, I want to make it through this. And, and when we, listen, when we, when we die to that, we, we demonstrate, we declare that there is a superior reality to, the, to more than just my self-centered, my self-reliant, my self-absorbed, my self-willed life, that I can die to that. It's not about me. There's an admitting that there's a bigger picture beyond myself. This shifted for me. Um, I just I want to be honest. Like when you plant a church with like four other adults and no other money. Self-preservation is like top of your mind. <laughs> like, let's be a church next week. That was like our goal. Like, people would ask me, like, what's your vision? And I would like share some big vision. But the truth is, in my heart, I was like, I just hope somebody shows up every week. 
And sometimes they didn't. Um, like we had some weeks where like, so when I get up here and I say, thanks for being with us, y'all think I'm just being facetious. I'm not. I have preached to no one. Come on. I was like, well, we're called to do it. So like, sit down. We're going to, we're going to preach. The team's like, we don't need to hear this. Like, yeah, you do. Apparently you do. <laughs> I like that all the people that were there at that time are not laughing right now. <laughs> They're like, it wasn't fun. Um, this shifted in me honestly, before the merge, but really became super clear to me in the merge that, that, and this is what I mean, this is what shifted, that I'm not just pastoring this church for today. I'm thinking about the next person who's going to stand up here and pastor this church. When we say legacy is better than destiny, it doesn't mean you get to sit on your blessed assurance and not do anything. It means that I'm not thinking about, okay, let me, let me, let me change this. The goal Oh, this is going to get me emails. The goal of the church, okay, the ultimate goal for the church is not nearly as close as you think it is. I, I think the church is not about to be over. I think the church is just getting started. Because the Bible says... That the goal of the church is to be the instrument by which the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And I don't know about y'all, but that ain't close. The goal of the church is not more nickels and noses. The goal of the church is not, is not try to get a lot of people to repeat a prayer. Okay, 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 okay. Thank you, Lord. The goal of the church, okay, I'm going to just be honest right now. This is, not, this is not me being funny. Mark, M-A-R-K, at, that little symbol, sozospokane.org. If you got questions about this, email me. I'm happy to have the conversation. You can come and talk to me afterwards too, but I know most of you are too scared to do that. So um, the goal of the church, big controversial statement, is not to get people to heaven. It's to get heaven to people. If the goal, see, we made the goal get people to heaven because we can make it to that goal. That goal, like, right, for some, that goal is different for some of you people. Some of you, I'm going to use a sports analogy and it's going to be wrong, but you love me. For some of you, that goal, that, that ball is on the 10 yard line in front of the goal, right? Like you, it just takes a little bit to get there and you're there. Some of y'all have friends that you're on the other 10 yard line, right? And it takes a lot to get there. But if you believe, listen, the goal is to get the, the kingdom of heaven to earth, how many of you want to say that we're on the 10-yard line in front of that goal? we got a long way to go. So when I say legacy is better than destiny, what I'm saying is this. My job is to move the ball down the field, not to be obsessed with being the only one that gets to make the goal. Y'all did not hear that. See, we change the goal so I get to celebrate and run around the field with all my friends and say, look, I made the goal. And God's like, dude, you just moved the ball like an inch. I want to preach on that for like four hours, but all y'all are glazing over. The goal, according to Jesus, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done Where? Yeah, but he told us to pray that as an exercise. He's not going to answer it. Yes, he is. 
Yes, he is. And here's the cool thing about our God. He refuses to answer that prayer apart from his sons. To the point that this is, this is, the, this is the, I don't even know how I got here. This is not in my notes at all. This is just free extra stuff. Do you know that we don't know this? We seem to have forgotten this, that God's going to fulfill heaven coming to earth through his sons. But did you know that the trees outside know it? Scriptures say that creation is screaming for the revealing of the sons of God. doesn't say for God. doesn't say the revealing of God. It says for our revealing. Let me, let me paraphrase. Mark Blair paraphrase. The whole world is screaming at you till you figure out who you are. That's when heaven comes to earth. As these little outposts of heaven get bigger and bigger. And guess what? What does that look like? More and more people coming to faith in Jesus. I'm not anti-people coming to faith. Don't email me about that. We preach the gospel here every single week. Y'all better know that we're committed to that. Amen? What I'm talking about is that's not the goal. That's not the end. Let's celebrate that. Let's be happy the ball's moving down the field. But we got to die to this idea of, of it's got to be me preserving my life. Listen, my, life, my greatest hope is that my life can be sown and fruit can be reaped in the next generation. I hope it's yours too. It's why I know y'all make fun of me, and I'm more than happy for y'all to do that, and, and I, I don't care. I, I, I'm believing to live to be 140 years old. So I think I got 100 years ahead of me. That's why I preach so long. I got lots of time. Um, somebody's like, not if you keep preaching long. Um, but you know why I want to do this? It's not because I just love living here. I want to look into my great-great-grandkids' eyes and have them ask me the question, like, Grandpa, is it true that when Christians used to pray for people, they didn't always all get healed? Grandpa, is it true that people who love Jesus used to hate their brothers? I can't imagine that, Grandpa. That's That's crazy. How could they do? Is it true, Grandpa, that people used to think God wasn't good? How do they not know that he's good? It's everywhere. I want to live to see that day. I'm, I'm wasting my life toward that day. If that, means, if that means that my life is wasted, so be it. We have to die to this idea of self-preservation. Okay, I got to go quick because... I have taken up way too much time. It's y'all's fault. If the goal is not our death, how do we die and still live? If we're supposed to die to all these things, but the goal is not death, how do we die to these things and still live? The only way to die and still live is to die in union with one whose resurrection is guaranteed. I'm going to read that again because I think that was good. The only way to die and still live is to die in union with one whose resurrection is guaranteed. We're called then, the key then is union. The key is union. Everybody say union. union. 
The key is union. Sin alone will kill us. You get that, right? The wages of sin is? So sin would kill us by itself. So the problem is not us dying. The problem is the means by which we die. The means by which we are called to die is in union, come on somebody, with Jesus. And I need you to do me one quick favor in your thinking. Just right now, open up the, 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 the programming of your brain real fast. Can you do this for me? Open it up. And, and all of y'all who are hearing, yeah, we're supposed to die in union with Jesus. That's a metaphor. So I need you to highlight and delete that word metaphor and put in mystical. It's not a metaphor. It's mystical, but it's not a metaphor. Very important difference that I wasted too much time earlier, so I don't have time to unpack, but you'll get it as you just run that program over and over and over again in your head. Called to die in a mystical. Let me, let me use another word because some of y'all are like, mm, I don't like mystical. Okay, that's fine. Supernatural. Can we use that word because we're charismatic, so that's cool, right? <laughs> mystical is like, mm, weird, I didn't know this was a cult. It's like supernatural, same word. <laughs> we're called to die in a supernatural union with Jesus. Not a metaphor, but a supernatural union with Jesus. Our supernatural union by grace through faith with Jesus in his death, sets us up on the sure path of our mutual resurrection. Amen? So real fast, just so, because I want to make sure we get this. You die to sin, you live to righteousness. You die to sin so that you can, again, we said, it's not, the, the, the goal is not, right? The goal is not you dying, the goal is you living. So if we die to sin, we live to righteousness. Write these verses down. We're not going to go there because I don't have time. And if I go to the verses, we're going to be here for a lot longer and none of y'all want to be here that long. So 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Says we that, that he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If that does not make you at least 2% uncomfortable, you don't understand what I just said. Or you understand it and you don't believe it. But the scriptures say that, that as much as Jesus became sin for you, you have become righteousness in him. I thought like two people would say amen to that and be a little bit excited about it, but that's fine. Don't even worry about it. So uh, die to sin, live to righteousness. Die to sensuality means we get to live for the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Here's what that says. This is this big passage that talks about these people will not inherit the kingdom. And all of us preachers want to do is list off all of the things and say, if you do all these things, you won't inherit the kingdom. That's not what Paul was saying at all. He's saying, look, these kind of people won't inherit it. And this is what he says. Some of you used to be those things, but you're not anymore. So you get to inherit the kingdom. So, so what I'm trying to say is this, get over your obsession with the seen realm and realize there's an unseen kingdom that's becoming seen in this world, that that's where your real citizenship is, that's where your real joy is, that's where your real purpose is, that's where your real identity, your security, and your felicity, all of it is found in an unseen kingdom becoming seen in the earth, get obsessed with that. I'm going real fast, but it, hopefully you're hearing good. Uh, self, die to self means you get to live as a new creation. This is so good. If you die to self... You get to live as a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We don't live in the old anymore. We get to live in the new. That's good news. I knew some of y'all when the old. I'm happy I get to know you in the new now. So here's, here's what we got to get to. Let me fly through all this stuff because I put in more stuff than I can get to. So we talk about union. Look up all those verses. They'll be good. Soak in those this week. But here, here's what I need us to see, and I have to get here. I have to get here because I promised you I would earlier, and I don't want to be a liar. 
What the heck does pickling have to do with anything? Y'all thought I forgot. How many of y'all thought I forgot? I didn't. So our union, hear this, our union must be an abiding immersion. Our union must be an abiding immersion. What am I talking about? Remember Easter? Does everybody remember Easter? I know you've slept two or three times since then. But Easter, we talked about Romans chapter 6. We're going to go there right now. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He's going to another Bible verse? Yeah, he's going to another Bible verse. Here's what it said. This was the kind of the, 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 the center of our Easter service this year. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. This, my friends, is the pickling principle. Um, so that word baptism uh, doesn't mean baptism. I don't, have, I don't have the time that I hoped for to be able to get into this because y'all pulled other stuff out of me. I blame you. So I'm just going to read this uh, real fast. There's two words used in Greek primarily. There's lots of derivatives, but two primary words used for baptism in Greek. These two words, we've got to understand the difference of. And the good news for us is there was a dude, a Greek doctor, who used both of these words in a poem about making pickles. Ergo, the pickle principle. And so we can understand the nuance of the difference between these two words that we translate baptize or baptism. We can understand them because he used them both in explaining to us how it is that we are, how it is we're supposed to make pickles. He says, first you baptize it and then you baptize it. He says, first you baptize it in water and you wash it off. You, you dunk it in the water and you wash it off. And then you baptize it in vinegar. What's the difference? The water's, the, the, that baptism, right? You dunk and you wash and you're good. But you're still a cucumber. This analogy just got weird. <laughs> but when that cucumber is baptized in the vinegar, what does it do? It stays in the vinegar. And what happens to the cucumber as it abides in the vinegar? It becomes something that it wasn't before. It becomes a pickle. What I'm telling you is this. The union that we need to have with Jesus in this idea of death is not a check it off the box, one and done, we can move on now. But rather, I am called to abide in him in a union that is a baptism that is a soaking like a cucumber in vinegar until that cucumber becomes, becomes a pickle and can no longer ever go back to being a cucumber. Because literally, the, the cell structure of that cucumber has been so permeated by the vinegar that it has been transformed into something it was not before. And it can't, no matter how much you try to wring out all the vinegar out of that pickle, it ain't never going back to being a cucumber. That's the kind of abiding, that union. That's why we can't, it cannot be a metaphor it has to be supernatural. We have to actually abide in him. We have to actually be immersed in him. We have to actually be baptized into a death like his. Because if it's just a metaphor, then you're, you're just metaphorically different. 
And, and can I get an amen from some spouses? We need you actually different. <laughs> Not just metaphorically different. We need you transformed into something that you were not before. Let's stand to our feet. I don't have time to get to like half of what I had here, but you'll, we'll, we'll get to it some other time. See, I think this, this idea of dying is so vital. I think dying is the single greatest demonstration of belief that we can possibly have. When we die, if belief is embracing and entrusting, then dying in supernatural union with Jesus is the greatest demonstration of embracing him in his death and entrusting the Father that we will experience. Come on a resurrection like his. Nothing else can demonstrate this. Nothing else has the power to show just how real the life in Jesus is. That's when we die. We die to sin. We die to sensuality. We die to self. We die to all. We put that, we separate from that so that it can die so that it can wither away. We stop going back to that thing and trying to draw life out of it. I've shared this before, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. One of, the, one of the best discipleship pictures I have for the working of the Spirit of God came from one of the worst, disgustingly pathetic movies I've ever seen. It was Transformers. Somebody took my childhood behind a shed and just beat it up and charged me $12 to watch it. But there was a moment in that movie, Transformers. There's a moment in that movie. Here, here's, here's what it was. The girl whose name I don't know because I don't care was talking to the boy whose name I don't know because I don't care. And he was trying to convince her that this car they were driving in was a robot, like a space robot, like a super ninja space robot. And, and he said, yeah, it, it changes into this super ninja space robot. And, and, and then she goes, she says this word, she says this word. If this thing is such a powerful robot, then why does it keep, keep transforming back into a piece of junk car? And I believe for too many of us, as believers, we're told you're a, you are a super awesome space ninja robot. And you believe that for like a nanosecond when you gather with other believers and the presence of God is here and, and he's lifted high and you're fulfilling the purpose that you have and honoring him and glorifying him and exalting him and suddenly you are who you're meant to be. But then you walk out those doors and you go, no, 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 no. Really, I'm just a piece of junk car. When I die and go to heaven, I get to be a super ninja space robot. But for now, I just have to live as a junky old car and I'm here to tell you that is not who you are 
if that analogy doesn't make you believe in the grace of God, that he could pull a truth out of a movie as horrible and disgusting and wicked as Transformers. He's good, amen? He works all things together for the good. Apparently nobody in this room hated that movie as much as I did. prayer he taught us to pray to us. I don't understand why, but I'm going to touch you. I'm so grateful that he has. There are moments in my life where I would just wish he would just step in and do it. Amen. But he honors us. He, he proves to us our sonship when he says, no, no, we're not going to do, I'm not going to do this separate from you. We're going to do this thing together. So let's do this thing together, beloved. Let's take the journey. Let's walk the path that he walked. Let's die. Not so we can die, but so we can live. Not so we can be dead, but so we can be fully alive. So we're going to respond, and I'm going to move very quickly through this. If you're here, and you do not know the goodness of God, and you are here, and you do not know the reality of of the offer for you to be made into a son, I'm here to plead with you to today be transformed into a son. That happens, the scripture says, through repentance and and faith, through repentance and belief. Repentance means, the Greek word literally means to change your mind. Here's what we say. It means to admit and abandon. Admit and abandon the wrong, false way you used to think. Both the rebellion, come on, and the rejection of God. Admit that sin and abandon it. Let it go. Stop going after it for life. There's no life in it. Amen? And then belief. We said it earlier, talked about it. It means to embrace and entrust, to grab a hold of Jesus and trust him for everything. That's what we're called to do. That's what you're called to do. And when that happens, the Bible says you go from being dead to being alive. Your identity, it says, is changed. Jesus described it as being born again. If you've never had that happen, I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how many, many church camps you went to. I don't care how much you've cried at altars. If you've never experienced that today, come on church, today is your day to repent and believe the gospel. And if you're doing that, I want to encourage you. We got people over here by the cross that would love to stand with you and pray with you. Those people are also there for anyone in the room that has any need in their life and just needs God to show up in powerful ways. Please make your way over there. I say it every week. It's worth the walk. Amen. It's worth the walk. Let somebody stand and pray with you. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to open up the tables for communion. We take communion by method is known as a teaching, taking a piece of bread, dipping the corner in the juice and partaking. We have gluten-free wafers available for those people who have need of that at the white tables. These tables are open to everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to be a member here. You don't, there's no secret handshake. If you love Jesus and you know you're a son and you know he's father, these tables are open to you. Amen? I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. Holy Spirit, thank you this morning for your presence here with us. Thank you for a people who have grace for long sermons. God, personally, I, I, I just want to see you move. That's why I came here. So Holy Spirit, we give you room right now to move. God, to move in supernatural ways. 
God, I pray that you would grant repentance to those who need it today. Lord, I pray you would grant faith to those who need it today. God, that you would bring to life those who are separated from you. That we would know, God, the goodness that is ours in you. Jesus, if there's areas in our hearts where death is hiding, would you bring death to death? God, that we would separate from it. That we would be choked out. You would be glorified. Church, let's respond to the Lord.